0: very thankful for what God is doing. Before we get into the passage of John chapter 6 uh, itself, let me just share some inter- interesting truths about this text. Many of you already know uh, you already know about the feeding of the 5,000. Matter of fact, it's one of the few miracles that is listed in all four Gospels. Now, there's a different angle at this miracle through the, the, the Bible as far as these four Gospels. They all kind of shed different light on it. I love John's rendition of it. It focuses on the lad and the miracle there. But but, uh, this is a a great miracle that takes place between John 5.47. Look in your Bible. Between John 5.47, which is the last verse in chapter 5, and John chapter 6, verse number 1, there's about a six-month gap. Now, if you want to know what happens in this six-month gap, because John doesn't really tell about it, then you have to go over and read uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, to about Matthew chapter 14 and verse number 12. It's about Christ and what He did. Healings and all the stories that happened there. You can go on and you can read in Mark chapter 1 and, and all the way through about half of Mark chapter 6. That's literally what happens between John five forty-seven. And John 6, verse number 1. Isn't that interesting? So John uh, does not record some of what Mark records or what Matthew records, but John focuses on uh, how Jesus deals with individuals, how Jesus deals with, uh, with this particular instance, with this lad and with the disciples. The other synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they deal with more of the masses. And they focus on how Jesus dealt with the villages and the crowds and the different things there. And so as we approach this, we see that it's been a very busy season for the Lord and His disciples. Matter of fact, in John 5, He's been dealing with those religious crowds. I mean, these religious Pharisees, they've been all over them, especially after healing a man uh, on the Sabbath day. And this man tells them that it's Jesus Christ. And so Jesus and His disciples were physically exhausted. They needed some rest and relaxation. Jesus planned for them to get away together for a while, so they get in a boat and they cross over the Sea of Galilee into the hill country, and they were going to take a, a, a break. And let me just say, there's nothing wrong with taking a break. Uh, I'll, be, I'll be honest with you, I love people. I do, I love people. I told you last week I'm a little introverted. Not a little, a lot. I'd much rather be in a place of seclusion, in the woods somewhere, uh, doing something around the house and not having to deal so much with t- talking and, 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 and being around lots of people at certain times. But I love people, I love our people, I love ministering to our community, But after a while, you get wearisome. Dealing with people sometimes can can be taxing on someone. It It can be weary because when you deal with people, you deal with problems sometimes, right? And you deal with different types of people and you deal with all kinds of struggles. And so Jesus, of course, dealt with all kinds of different people. Jesus and his disciples were very exhausted. Matter of fact, Mark chapter 6, we don't have time uh, really for sake of time. We don't turn over there. But Mark chapter 6 and verse 31, Jesus says to his disciples, and I'm paraphrasing, but he says, come away by yourselves to a lonely place and rest a while. So Jesus wanted his disciples to rest from their ministering and resting. Hey, by the way, church, look at me that shows us that Jesus was, of course, He was all God, but Jesus was all man. He did get weary. He did get tired. Jesus didn't go on this earth and, and, and just never ran out of energy and never slept, never got hungry. Jesus was actually weary. And Jesus told His disciples to get inside this boat and to go across the Sea of Galilee. And by the way, I've been on that sea. It's a large sea. And it's about a three-mile journey across the Galilean Sea by boat. A crowd of people, they see Jesus get in this boat and they see His disciples get in the boat. So they begin to walk the shoreline. Jesus is going across the boat and across the sea and the, and the rest of the crowd, they see Jesus get in the boat. So they said, you know what? We're going to meet Him over on the other side. That's a 10-mile journey. So Jesus gets on the other side. They probably sat down, take a break. They're probably getting a breather. And all of a sudden, here comes the masses around the Sea of Galilee. And I can imagine the disciples kind of like, oh, brother. He, they come because the Bible says in John 6, 1, it says this, After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which was the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed Him because they saw His miracles, which He did on them that were... Disease, So Jesus is dealing again with this crowd that he was actually trying to go across and rest from. Why, where did all these people come from? The Bible says in verse 2, a great multitude followed him. Jesus, and look at verse 3, and Jesus went up into the mountain, there he sat with his disciples, and the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. This is the reason there was a large crowd. I'm going somewhere, so stay, stay with me. The reason there was so many people at this time in Jerusalem was because it was the Feast of the Passover. And people were just there. There could, have been, there could have been upwards to a million to two million people in Jerusalem at the Feast of the Passover. And all of these people were following Jesus. He had attracted this large crowd. Why were there so many people there? Because John 4 says it's the Passover time. The Bible says that Jesus lifts up his eyes, he sees the people coming to him. One writer said that Jesus and his disciples were peopled to death and needed a vacation. But it was not to be on this day. This is one of the only two creative miracles. Now, don't get me wrong, all of the miracles that Jesus did was creative But in a sense, this is one of the most creative because Jesus in John chapter 2, He turns the water to wine, which I believe is, is unbelievable. But secondly, Jesus takes five loaves and two fishes and breaks them and feeds thousands of people. Now, I believe all the miracles of our Lord is pretty awesome. But these two, man, they're pretty incredible. In this miracle, the fish were small fish. The Bible says in verse number 5, And when Jesus lifted up his eyes, he saw a great company come unto him, and he saith to Philip, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? So now we got a problem. And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. So he asked Philip this, this question, knowing, listen, knowing the answer. He was just proving Philip. He was testing Philip. Philip, of course, not quite ready for that. I want you to notice a couple things about our text this morning, and then we'll dive right into the message. There's just a few things that I want to share to you about the text, and, and God has uh, some application for us today that we can find. I know you're familiar with this story. Many of you have heard about the feeding of the 5,000, so don't, don't, tune me out, I want you to really tune it in. Because there's a message, and often, listen, how many of you believe we need to be reminded of the Word word of God and the stories in the Bible? We need to be reminded often. Because the Word of God is, listen, it's inexhaustible. So meaning that, I don't care if you've heard this story, and I've preached from this text, and I've heard it time and time again, but God has a Word for every one of us in here today. No matter where you're at in life, God has something for you to leave here with meditating on. Now the person beside you, it may be something totally different. But God has already spoke to my heart through this study and showed me a few things that I want to share with you. The first thing is this. And I want to preach to you just a little bit on this. Little as much when God is in it. Little as much when God is in it. The first thing I want to bring to your attention is the Lord's compassion. The Lord's compassion. We see Matthew records this incident. He said that Jesus saw the multitude coming. And the Bible says this in the book of Matthew. That He had compassion on them. Compassion is love in action. Somebody can look at a multitude of people and begin to cry. And, and say, oh, look at all them people. But listen, unless you do something about it, that's not really compassion. Compassion. He had compassion on them. He healed their sick. Mark says that Jesus began to teach them. Now it's mid-afternoon. Night is coming. Most of the people had not eaten since early morning. They're hungry. And the disciples realized that and something had to be done. So they go to Jesus. How are we going to handle this, Jesus? Well, there's a, a few things the disciples did in the previous Gospels or in the other Gospels. One of the Gospels insists that the disciples say, You know what we'll do, Jesus? We'll just send the people away. That's easy, isn't it? The people traveled 10 miles. They're hungry. So Jesus, here's what we'll do. Tell them to figure it out themselves. That sounds like a disciple. How many of you have probably been with that disciple? Hey, you know what, uh, Jesus? There's probably 15,000 people here. There's no way we can feed these people. Tell them to go find a drive through Tell them to go somewhere else. Do we look like a restaurant? We are trying to take a break and these people will not leave us alone. Jesus, I can get rid of them if you give me the green light. Every church probably has a few like that. Matthew chapter 14 and verse number 15. Mark chapter 6 and verse 36 says that the disciples suggesting just sending the people away. Let them find their own food. It's not our problem. Let them fend for themselves. I often wonder when I read this story if that's the way the church sees the multitudes today. A lot of times people will come to a church and they're hungry. And the people are seeking truth, and they're wanting God, and they're they're wanting someone that'll preach the Word of God line upon line, and precept upon precept, and and, and preach it without it being watered down. And, and people are coming, and and a lot of times churches are like, "Oh, we don't want to put up with them." I don't want to. Put, I know people. Listen, I know this is hard to believe, but I know churches that don't want to grow. They're content with our four no more. They're content with just the few that's coming. They're content with that because, you know what? We've got enough problems with our four. We don't need your problems. We don't need your mess. We don't need your brokenness. We don't need your dysfunctionality. We don't need it because we have enough. I like the motto of one of the churches I preached in recently. The motto was, they will not seek, they must be sought. They will not come, they must be brought. They will not learn. They must be taught. Isn't that a good motto? We ought to honestly, we ought to be going after sinners and the multitudes. Hey, one of the other disciples suggested, let's raise money. That's basically what's said in verse number 5. Look with me. John chapter 6. They lifted up their eyes. They saw a great multitude come unto him. And he said unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to Prove him. Test him. For he himself knew what he would do. So Jesus already knew. Here's what Philip said: 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them. So, listen, look at this. Philip said, Lord, this is not in our budget. We cannot afford to feed all of these people. We need to raise some funds. We don't have enough money. And let me just say, in this day and age, sometimes money can be an issue. Churches are, are, are either uh, underfunded, and, and maybe their people won't give or won't reach up to the, the challenge or won't be obedient to God. Or some have lots of money and they're not doing anything with it. I'll be honest with you, I think it's a detriment to the church to have millions of dollars sitting in a bank and not funding missions. And not reaching your community. And not helping the poor. And not trying to help people that's down and out. Listen to me. Money can be an issue, but what Jesus was trying to show Philip is you don't need money. You've got me. We don't need to just try to figure this out with funds. You've got me. Philip's faith was tested. Our Lord often tests just like this. He, he called them in a test of trust and they came into everybody's life. Tests always comes into everybody's life. And sometimes things happen in our life for no other reason than to just test us. To prove us. Remember in Genesis 22 when, when God tested the trust of Abraham by telling him to offer his son Isaac? Abraham passed the test. Remember in Deuteronomy when God tested the trust of the children of Israel for 40 years in the wilderness? God tests our trust. God gives us a test just to pass our trust. And if God only tested me as far as I already trusted Him, I wonder if I'd ever get anywhere. James says the trying of our faith brings about patience. It causes us to grow. Here's how Philip responded. He responded like most of us. We look at our own resources and we try to figure it out and then when we decide it can't be done, then we just get upset. Look at how Andrew handled it. Look at verse number 8. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here. He, He hath... Five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are these among so many? So what basically Andrew says is, Lord, we've got something, but it's not enough. It's insufficient. What are we going to do with this little thing? And I think Jesus might have smiled when Andrew brought this little lad. And I believe Jesus is wanting his disciples to see that all they needed was standing right in front of them. And I think Andrew said to the lad, would you be willing to give your lunch to this man? And I believe that little man said, oh, I'd give anything to him. There's a lot that we can learn in just this little lad in this story. This is not really the message, but there is some points here that we can see this little lad because the Bible says... In verse 9, there is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are these, or what are they, among so many? The first thing that I believe we can learn from this little lad is this. This little lad shows us that age is no barrier to Christ. Whether you're young or whether you're old, you can be used of God. I don't know how old this lad was, but I'm in my mind thinking that he was just a young boy who maybe that day went out on the sea and caught a few little small fishes and maybe one day running out he grabbed a couple loaves of bread and he said, you know what, I don't know how long this day's going to be, but I'm going to take my stuff and I'm going to be better than most people. I'm thinking ahead. I'm going to have lunch when they're, when they're starving to death. I'm going to have my own little supper here. I'm going to be good. God delights in using the little things, like a little lunch, like five loaves and two small fishes. And these little loaves are not loaves that we buy at the grocery store. These little loaves was just a little rounded piece of bread. What they would do is sometimes we think of fish, we think of big bass we pull out of a pond or a lake. These little fish were like the fish they have in the Sea of Galilee. They swim in schools. They're just little fish. The Bible says small. They're not big 30 pound catfish they drug out. Not big tuna or big mackerel that several hundred people could have ate on. These were small fish, and they basically would cut them up like almost like and pickle them like a sardine and spread them on a little roll, and that's that would be their fish sandwich. And he had a few rolls and two little small fishes, just enough to one person eat lunch. That's all God needed small, insignificant, little. People often look at little things and they think, man, what what could God do with that? Let me remind you in the Old Testament, a baby moved the heart of Pharaoh's daughter. Just a little baby. Them little Pharaoh's daughters out there just out in that river and they see that little baby coming in that little vessel there, that, that handmade basket that protected him and they see that baby in compassion. You know what God was behind that? Them little Pharaoh's uh, daughters, they feasted their eyes upon this little girl, or this little baby rather, and their heart was moved. God was in that. God used a shepherd's rod in the hand of Moses. Just a little stick. God used a sling and a rock to defeat Goliath. God used it. There's a lad that shows the importance of availability. Hey, listen, young people, listen to this just be available. I mean, sometimes we read so far into the text and we're trying to pull out. Listen, this lad was available. Just, hey, you young people, listen to me. We got a lot of young people in here. Listen to me. God can use you. Just be available. Don't wait till you're 40 years old and 50 and 60 and say, okay, now I'm going to get my life serious. No, no. Hey, how about in your young years and in your teen years, you just give your heart and your life to be available. I'll have young preachers contact me and say, preacher, how do I get a pulpit? How do I get a church? Or how do I get known? Or how do I start preaching places? Hey, be available. When a nursing home calls, go. When the jail ministry calls, Go. And how about this? How about not wait for their call? How about you call them and say, I'd like an opportunity. Be available. Here's the last lesson I get from this little lad is, the lad shows that we never know what can happen when we bring someone to Jesus. Somebody brought the lad to Jesus. Look what happened. Bringing folks to Jesus. Now, I want you to notice the second thing, and really the final thing that we look at this morning in our text is found in verse number 10. The Bible says this And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Notice what he says. Now, there was much grass in the place, so when the men sat down, in number about 5,000. We see the Lord's compassion, but we also see the Lord's command. The Lord takes over. And he commands everyone to be seated. Sit down where you're at. There's grass. I've been by them Golden Height hills there off the Sea of Galilee. They think that this is where Jesus performed this wonderful miracle as he stood at the bottom with the, the Sea of Galilee behind him and the crowds would have been on those grassy hills. And I, it's never really said, but really a miracle that goes unmentioned is how all them people heard him. Oh, but the natural acoustics and all. Now, listen, I don't care how good the acoustics are, if you're talking to 15,000 people in open air without a microphone, it's supernatural if every one of them can hear you. And everyone heard them and the disciples are out there helping. And all the people are seated. Philip and Andrew both failed the faith test, but they passed the obedience test. And obedience is always the channel through which faith comes. God did not just throw the disciples away and say, okay, I'm not going to use you since you failed. I'm thankful that He doesn't throw anybody away, aren't you? And He places them in a place and says, now I want you to obey. And the disciples start helping Jesus with the crowds. Jesus used His disciples in this miracle. I want you to notice how Jesus handled this and we're done. Look at verse number 11. And Jesus took the loaves I want to just stop right there and say Jesus took it. He took the loaves. He took the little boy's lunch. He took what was needed to perform this miracle. And I can hear Jesus as He speaks to the lad. Will you give me your lunch? All of it. Not part of it. Jesus wanted everything that lad had. And often we're willing to give to Jesus, but we're not willing to give Jesus everything. This lad gave Jesus everything he had. You know what? Here in America, in our culture, the one thing that I think we have the hardest time giving up? It's right here. It's a wallet. Somebody's like, what is that? Yep, it's what I keep, you know. Obviously, you can see I don't have any cash, so don't hit me up after church. But cards and little things down there. Little wallet. You know what? We have a hard time because we don't mind. Oh, yeah, they got some signage. We'll give a little bit to that. And Oh, there's a missionary and we got a little bit to that. But, but for Jesus to get everything. Often people, when you say Jesus gets everything, they get scared because they automatically assume that we are to go to the bank Monday and empty out all the savings and empty out all the checking and sell some things and just give it all to Jesus. That's not what I'm talking about. When Jesus has all of this, that's all He wants. He's not wanting you to just empty your bank accounts and give it all. And, and if you did, and, G, and if, if that's what the Lord said, and that would be a little, maybe, careless. And, and uh, man, you, your family's got to pay bills and you got to do some things. You understand that. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, when Jesus, time He puts something on your heart to do, and you refuse... He does not have all. That's what I'm saying. Sometimes they've got this perception of, well, I'll just, uh, I'll just uh, do this here and do this here. But hold on. It's not us to dictate when we give it's for us to respond when the, when the Lord uh, pricks our heart, Brother Lee, and puts something on our heart, whether it be a missionary that stops through here, whether it be a project at the church or new gospel tracts or, or whatever we're doing, purchasing a building or doing whatever. Whenever the Spirit of God prompts your heart to give something, that's when you say, Lord, it's not mine anyhow. It's yours. You gave me the job. You gave me the health, the work, the job. You gave me this. You gave me that. So, Lord, I'm just giving it back to you. Well, I lost this and I had to do this. and Hold on, it's not yours. If you give it to God. By the way, you're not taking this to heaven. When you die, it's something for your kids to fight over. Something for the bank to possess. We worked so hard our whole life to, to fill up a big bank account and to have plenty of this and to retire and to do all these things. But yet, when you take your final breath... This does not matter. So, why does it matter so much right now? It's become a God in America. I know it's quiet. I didn't mean to preach on finances, but it's in the text. They could not afford they, the, the, the disciples were trying to understand listen, this is, a, we, we can't afford this. We don't, with 200 penny worth, we, we don't have enough, Lord. See, Jesus was waiting for them to realize that they were missing the whole point of what he's trying to say. Jesus grabs the lad's lunch. And by the way, may I remind you that he never asked us to give him what we don't have. He just wants what we do have. He took it. Hey, look at number uh, verse eleven again. He he took the loaves and then he had given. And when he had given thanks, he blessed it. Stay with me. He blessed it. He looked to the Father and he began to bless what he's about to do. The people are waiting patiently. They they've got their ears cupped to to maybe listen to what Jesus is saying. And he bows his head, and he, or maybe he looks up into the heavens, and he blesses what God is about to do. And no doubt, he probably gave thanks for that little lunch that boy had. Maybe, maybe he asked God to bless that little boy. Bless this food. How embarrassing it would have been to thank God for the food for the multitude if it had remained five loaves and two small fishes. Why did Jesus bless the food? In blessing it, it was something... Put into that had not been there before. When the boy transferred his lunch into the hands of Jesus, it was, when he transferred it, it was transformed. Little will remain little unless we give it to Jesus. And by the way, I'm glad to see that when Jesus was not ashamed to bless the food in front of the multitude of people, it's like that old farmer that went into a restaurant years ago and Bibbed overalls, old hat with oil stains on it, old boots. He got his meal and he was about to eat his meal and he bowed his head and he took his hat off and he prayed for his meal. And Some boys in another booth, some young guys over there saw what was happening and they started kind of laughing a little bit at the guy. And one of the young men, after he finished praying, said, hey old man, is that the way y'all do it on the farm? You pray before... You eat? And the old farmer looked up at the boys and said, Yeah, that's what we do. He said, Does everybody do that on the farm? Does everybody give thanks like that? He said, No, not everybody. He said, The hogs don't give thanks. The hogs don't give thanks. My dad, when we moved to North Carolina, I was just a little boy. I was five years old. He took a church there. I was four years old. And this my dad was trying to get this church off the ground and just pastor and the neighbor beside the church was uh I forget her name, uh older lady, older lady. Uh, she was a member of the church, but was unable to come. She had hogs behind her house. It was old farm. Well, I grew up out in the country, and it was I mean, the church was across the cornfield, still is. There was hogs over there. You could smell them in the summer months when that wind come. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You can smell them, man. It wasn't the most pleasant smell in the world. So my dad started visiting this woman. Her last name was Miss Hoffman. I remember Miss Hoffman. And he, he went down to the road. I mean, you could see her house from where we grew up in a church parsonage and a little white house, just simple. Her husband had died. She kept the hogs. And that little woman, could. she would feed those hogs until she got up in years and her son... He was even older, and his son wasn't able. So my dad said, "Well, Miss Hoffman, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll feed your hogs for you." What he said. Young pastor. When my dad took that church, he was twenty nine years old. He's uh, sixty eight now. So he uh, was going to. Uh, Go out there and he started feeding the hogs And he would take me with I thought it was the greatest thing in the world Mike I, I was watching my dad He'd get that feed out of the barn He'd walk over there to the fence And he would take that feed And those hogs would be out there And as soon as they heard the buckets Y'all know what I'm talking about As soon as they heard the buckets they come a snorting and running And he took that bucket over the fence And dipped it down in there And dumped it in that And buddy they never even looked up The food was hitting them on the head and those hogs never looked up and said thank you they don't care. And by the way, when you don't pray for your food, just think about that illustration. I remember one time my dad forgot, he told Miss Hoffman that he would feed the hogs before church and he forgot. He'd already had his suit on. He looked at mama and he said, "Uh, mom, he said, "Uh, I forgot to feed Miss Euler. He said, I think I can go down there with my suit on and feed them before church. So he got his suit on and uh, he, he had already had it on, so he was just going to run down. It didn't take ten minutes. Grabbed the bucket. He said, when I dipped the bucket over the side of the the uh, the fence, he said, one of them hogs reached up, kind of got up on them and hit the bucket. And he said, when it did, it went all down the front of my suit. He said, I ought to learn never to go and feed hogs in a suit. You know what? When we fail to give thanks to God for what He's given us, even a lunch... We're no better than the hogs in the pig pen. What a, he, he took the bread. He blessed it. But notice what else He did with it. He broke it. He broke it. Notice verse 11. He took the loaves and when He had given thanks, He distributed to the disciples. Others of the Gospel said that He broke it. He prayed and He broke the bread. We, like lunch, often need to be broken before we are usable to God. Nobody likes to go through a season of brokenness. But in order for God to use you, in order for God to really use you, God must, listen to this, God must break you. God must break you. I believe it was Jay Sidlow Baxter that said this. Jay Sidlow Baxter was a, a great preacher and author and he said this, listen to this statement. He said, early in my years and in my ministry, he said, I was so proud of my college degrees and abilities. He said, then I went through a period where God was not blessing in my life. And he said that it was as if God had taken His hand off of his life. He said, I was broken. And I went before God and I asked Him, Why, God, why have you taken, listen to me, Why have you taken your hand off of my life? And he said, God reminded me, Sid, I use arrows and not peacocks. I use sparrows rather and not peacocks. What was he saying? Quit walking around here and strutting like you are somebody. And just realize, humility will get you further than anything else. God will use a little sparrow. God can use you. Brokenness, he broke it. Hey, number four, he not only broke it, but he used it. Look with me in verse number 12. He used it. And when they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing, listen to this, that nothing be lost. That nothing be lost. Let me just say that Jesus must have taken that first loaf and broke it in half and given some to John, then to Peter, then to Philip, then to Andrew, and they would give it out and then they would come back to Jesus and not one crumb, not one morsel was passed out to the people that had not first been blessed and distributed by Jesus Christ. I can see Andrew maybe holding a full basket in his hands, when he offered the bread and fish to someone, and, and with a mouth full of bread in their in their mouth, they made it. Looked at Andrew and said, "I'm I'm full. I can't handle anymore. I'm I'm full." What people did not just get fed that day; they were filled. Jesus don't do something halfway, brother Joseph. He don't perform a miracle like that, and then people leave and they're still hungry. Let me just say this. When you really get in the Word, I mean you really study it and you believe it and you meditate on it and you get in it, guess what? You're not going to walk away hungry. This Word of God's going to fill you up. Jesus distributed it. He broke it and then he, he used it. He used it for His glory. And I imagine the wonderful joy and the wonderful contentment that that boy felt when he saw that Jesus... And what he had done with his lunch. And there is no way he could have imagined what would have come from this simple offering that he gave to Jesus. And likewise, you and I cannot imagine what will come from our lives being surrendered to his will. You may be sitting in here this morning and may think, well, what could I do? What do I have that I could bring to Jesus? Pastor, I can't preach behind that pulpit. I I can't teach in front of people. I'm I'm just not like that. I, I can't get up there and sing. What can I do? Hey, can I ask you, what have you given to Him? Little is much. Have you given Him? You said, you know, over there you're so focused on what you don't have. And God don't want what you don't have. God wants what you do have. Well, preacher, I don't have all of what you're saying. I'm just not sure what God could use. Have you given it to Him? Y'all understand, y'all understand that when people think of Bible Baptist Church, and this is just natural, when people think of Bible Baptist Church in the community or maybe out of state or, or another preacher or pastor, usually what they'll think of is Pastor Cox, usually. Oh yeah, that's the pastor down there, yeah, they... But if you come here on Sundays, you understand that I don't make up Bible Baptist Church. I'm just a, the one that brings the Word on Sunday and delivers the message. But if you'll open your eyes around here and you'll look, and you'll see the people on the parking lot trying to help park cars, the nursery workers in there fighting it out with the baby. Children's workers down there, and people shuttling people back to and forth, and, and, and folks out here trying to greet folks and people behind the desk and greeting people and folks that are driving buses and vans, and people that are, are back here working in the media and several services on Sunday morning, you'll realize that these people have taken their little and given it to God, And guess what God has done. He's made it much. And when the church collectively says, you know what, we're going all in, and we're giving everything we have to God, and He can take my little insignificant self, that I'm nothing and I realize that I am and I'm I'm nothing and I some people some preachers even believe that because of education maybe a lack of education maybe a man gets called to preach in his 30s or 40s and he, he's already got a family and so he feels that he's not qualified or he's unable to preach that is a lie you know what that'll educate you more than anything is get in the word My dad pastored the same church, or he's pastoring the same church. You'll hear him in a few weeks. He's pastored the same church for 40 years. Never went to seminary or Bible college. Not one day. Not one day. Now, he'll tell you he wished he would have. But back then, he didn't know. He was raised in the mountains of West Virginia. He didn't know. So guess what? God called him to preach. And he said, well, God called me to preach. He started studying the Word of God. And he got around his pastor. And everywhere his pastor went, he went. He said, you know what? For several years I watched my pastor. That was my education. 40 years. Church of 8, 900,000 people. People don't walk up to him and say, "Pastor, now where did you go to seminary?" "Pastor, where did your education? How long and how many degrees? Do you know fluent Greek? Do you know fluent Hebrew? How long have you done this?" I, nobody ever asked. So you know what they care about? He took his little and gave it to God. And God said, okay. Son of a drunk. Dad was an alcoholic. Beat him. Abused him. Said he went to school 12 years and 2 summers. The only reason he graduated is he was a good athlete. Went to, he was uh, recruited by Marshall University to play football. Marshall University and wrestle and box. And he said, I went to Marshall University for one day. And I left in the middle of the night. He said, I was so homesick. He said, they were partying out there, drinking and taking their cars and doing donuts in the parking lot and screaming. And he said, I I packed my stuff up and left. And the coach came and sat on his couch and said, Darrell, please come back. He said, no. Worked in the coal mines. Preached. Oh, but but preacher, I just don't understand. I mean, mean, how in the world did he make it without all these things? Hold on. Now, I'm not telling you not to get trained, but what I'm telling you is, when you give God your little, He can take and make it much. So so many people that I talk to today, just in passing or in counseling, they'll say, Preacher, I just feel so, I'm not even fit to do, it. I'm just so nothing, I'm, and sometimes we want to look at them and say, oh, just get some self-confidence. I'm, I'm so careful to even say get self-confidence because that's so opposite of what the Bible teaches. We do have a lot of self-confidence in society today and maybe that's the problem. That we've put so much confidence in self that we have lacked confidence in a man that can feed thousands with just two small fishes. My confidence is in Christ. The reason I'm able to even stand here this morning, God knows in my heart, and I'm not trying to embellish Brother Joseph, God knows, and I say this and you might get tired of it, but I do not belong where I'm at today. Tomorrow I'll get in a truck and I'll drive to Gatlinburg, Tennessee or Pigeon Forge and I'll preach two times this week to over 4,000 teenagers. If you would have told me that at the age of 15, 16, 17 years old, if you would have said, Oh, Steve, you'll be preaching of a church in Simpsonville, a growing church, and you'll be preaching to thousands of teenagers, hey, wouldn't have believed you because it would have scared me to death. And you know what? It still does. I get in my office every Sunday morning and about having nervous breakdown. And I'm not exaggerating, God knows my heart. You ask my wife over here, my stomach's tore out of the frame every Sunday. Starbucks won't tame it. Just sit over there, and listen, I'll look up there because my window down in my office looks up here at the parking lot and I just see car after car and I'm thinking, Lord, and it ain't that I'm not happy that people are here, but I'm wondering why they're here. I got to preach to them. It's not natural, but at 16 years old, I walked an aisle at a youth camp and I said, Lord, if you'll take my little, you'll just take my little. God will make it much. He wants yours. Somebody asked me this week, I'm through. Jacob, you can come. Somebody asked me this week, Preacher, why are we not seeing preachers called to preach anymore? Have you all wondered that? When's the last time you've seen a man called to preach? I'm talking about in a service and an invitation. Let me say this. Listen. God is still calling. Men are not answering. We need the attitude today. God, if you'll take my insignificant self, will you make it much? Take my little. Take my family. Lord, what could you do with my little family? We're so dysfunctional. We're so messed up. We're so broken. God, what can you do with this little family? What could God do with your family? What could God do with you? God, put a burning desire in your heart. You teenagers out here, what what could you do if you brought your lunch to Jesus? I ask most teenagers today, what are you going to do with your life? Well, I think I'm going to go to school and get a degree in this, and I think I'm going to, nothing bad. I think it's great, but I very seldom ever hear a teenager say, "I'm just going to do what God wants me to do." Now, as parents, we're like, "Oh, oh, I want a little bit more. I want to know a little bit more about what. What does that mean? Well, I don't know." But mom and dad, sometimes we need to let go and say, God, you have my children. Amen. Little is much when God is in. Let's close.